mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burden self and liberty. Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burden so from liberty at Calvary. All right, let's turn way over to the next page over to, to your left there. Number 56. Number 56. Just the first and the last stanza. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown to the old rugged cross I will ever be true its shame and reproach gladly bear then he'll call me someday to my home far away forever I share so I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. Amen. Shake hands with someone around you there and tell them it's good to see you today.
Good morning. Welcome to Central Baptist Church Sunday School Hour. We'd like to welcome you to Big Day. It's finally here. We've been doing a countdown. So we want to welcome you to our Big Day services, adult Sunday school class. And just a little, a little while after Brother Pouts gives our Sunday school lesson, we will begin our morning service. Looking forward to great services here on the campus of Central Baptist Church. Um, I want to um, remind you this next week that we do have our um, volleyball this Thursday um, for our senior adults in the gym, gymnasium, so be there. Um, our Thanksgiving dinner is Saturday, November 11th, so if you didn't have a chance to sign up, get with Miss Pam. I'm sure she'll work something out for you and let you bring something. I know that um, I missed that sign-up, so we'll do the same. All right, we would have our ushers at this time come forward. Any birthdays this past week? Any anniversaries? Okay. I guess I instinctively knew. All right. Um, Be in prayer for Miss Charlotte. Um, uh, The Kings... Um, and Brother Bunch, I don't see them here um, this morning. Um, so uh, make sure, I didn't see any prayer list out there, um, but uh, make sure that we're um, keeping up to date and speed on our prayer for, um, with our prayer list. All right, um, Brother Pouts, would you open our uh, pray for offering, please, sir? It is good to see everybody here uh, this morning on our big day. Um, uh, a lot of folks were out here this morning getting things set up and a lot of work, a lot of visitation has gone into this. And uh, so stick around and, and enjoy the festivities after after the morning service. And uh, I think there's a, there's a hot dog for you out there as well. And uh, so we'll have a lot of fun with that. Um, and, you know, we... We do this for the kids and and uh, some of the adults that are still kids and uh, have a lot of fun with it. But it's the, the whole idea, the whole focus is getting folks to come in and hear the gospel. I guarantee you uh, just about every teacher has modified their lesson to a gospel message in Sunday school. 
And then in the, in the junior churches that are going on, they'll do the same. In fact, my lesson is kind of focused on that a little bit. So it's an exciting day. I, <clears throat> when I, um, years ago, when I was in the ministry, when I was a youth director for many years uh, over in Haines City, we'd have a big day. We'd call it Anniversary Sunday, and we did some of the craziest things. Uh, we used a tent about as big as this and uh, put it out on the ball field, and we'd have, you know, sometimes three, 400 kids and uh, bring a special speaker in. But what we did one year was, and I still have this truck, by the way, we rolled my truck into the tent, and we had a contest to see how many, well, the, the girls went first, how many of them they could fit in the back of the, the bed of the truck. And they got, I don't know, 25, 30, and my truck starts going like this. And then it was the boys' turn. And, of course, boys are crazy anyway, teen boys. And they got about 35, and they're still throwing kids up on the top of it. And the truck's going like this. And, and, uh, uh, but the truck survived, and, and my, my youngest son drives it today. It's 20, 20 years old, the truck. And, uh, but uh, they're a lot of fun. A lot of work goes into it. So you see some of the workers around here tell them thank you very much for all their hard work. And we appreciate you folks helping out with the extra offerings to, to pay for all this stuff. And, and that's a huge thing as well. And uh, I, I, I know that uh, uh, a lot of prayer goes into this as well. Um, speaking of uh, prayer requests, um, I've, I've mentioned this to a few people. And some of you have seen this on Facebook. A very good friend of mine and the Elams know him, Brother Tony, and several other folks from here know brother, uh, a fellow by the name of Joe Pasola. We worked in the ministry together for years at Landmark, and uh, he's my age. He's not old, but he's not young. And he, um, he has a company out in um, Idaho, and he drives flammable liquid um, tankers. And uh, apparently he stopped at a truck stop, and his, his uh, tanker burst into flames. And it caught him on fire, and so 67% of his body is burnt, third-degree burns. He's in a burn unit in Utah. Uh, his wife is very dear to us. Um, his, uh, his kids grew up with my kids. His name is Joe Pasola, so if you'd remember uh, him in your prayers. And I believe his, his um his daughter had started a GoFundMe because really, essentially, he's probably not going to be able to work again. And one of the hardest workers you'd ever want, he's one of them guys that could build, fix, do anything and would do anything for anybody. And one of the hardest workers I'd, I'd ever known taught me so much about carpentry and mechanics and stuff. It's, we worked together and just a, a dear friend. So if you just, at the very least, keep him in your prayers, uh, he, his daughter uh, sent a message this morning that he's going through the second, what they call debridgement, where they take the dead skin off, essentially. And uh, so it's a, a lot of pain. He's going to be there at least six months. And um, he just had open heart surgery a couple of months ago. So uh, they, you know, so make, make, make them a Joe and Lee. Lee is his wife's name. She's having a rough time with this, as I can imagine. So make that uh, Make that a matter of prayer. Did I send you the right slides, Mick? Okay, John chapter 3. Awesome, okay. If you take, uh, take your Bibles and turn them over to John chapter 3, 
Um, I know I've been teaching out of Acts the last few weeks, but I, like a lot of the other teachers, have kind of modified our lesson into uh, more like a, a, a salvation message. So we're just going to focus on probably the first part of John chapter 3, uh, one of the first chapters I've ever, I ever read when I was first saved. John was probably the first book that I read in completion when I was uh, a new Christian. And uh, I don't know about you, but in, I'm, I'm sure a lot of you can express the same experience. I remember a few times uh, before I was a Christian, before I was born again, I'd try to read the Bible once or twice over the years, maybe even a little bit more. And I could never understand it. I could never um, get what it was saying. I, thee and thou. And, and it was a little confusing at times. But when I became a born-again believer and started reading it, now I'm, I'm no Bible scholar. And I, I, matter of fact, this week I learned something new in the Word of God and the Gospels. But it was like a light went on. And some of you have, can testify to that. Many of you can. When I started reading it after I received Christ, it made sense. Before it was, it was darkness. I didn't understand it. It didn't seem to apply to me. Um, but after being saved and reading it and understanding it, it a light went on. And uh, the book of John is one of the best books to read. Matter of fact, that's what I'm one that I, whenever I've led anybody to Christ, I've told them, start with the book of John then read the New Testament, and then, you know, you can read through, uh, start with Genesis, but start with the book of John. And in many cases, missionaries will have booklets with the book of John and the book of Romans together and hand them out as a pamphlet because it's, it's some of the, it, it really gets to the heart of salvation. In this story or this um, depiction in John chapter 3 brings that to light. So I'm going to read a couple of the verses, uh, probably up to verse 3, and then explain a couple of things to you. It says, uh, there was a man of, uh, of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now I'll explain that born again a little bit later, but this is what I'd like to say, first of all. Um, there we go, good, we got that. What I'd like to say, first of all, is, you know, Israel has been in the news quite a bit. And a lot of folks say, you know, what's the importance of Israel? Well, first of all, here's two Israelites talking to each other. One of them just happens to be the savior of mankind. You know, when I, I drove uh, uh, Uber and Lyft for a number of years, and certain times of the year, a lot of the Jewish folks, the Hasidic Jews from New York, would fly down to Florida and have their celebrations down here. And I gave many of them rides from the airport and to the different uh, complexes over in Orlando. And I, I probably ticked a few of them off, but I would say, thank you for giving me the Savior. I would say that to them. I thank your people for giving the savior of the world to us. Now, a lot of them don't, don't accept Jesus as the savior, don't recognize him as the Messiah, but I still appreciate him. So they, and, and, and Paul in, uh, in Romans talked about the importance of the Jews. 
And so don't ever think for a moment that they're not probably, that's the, the focal point of mankind right over there where, where all those hostile countries around it are just, and this week, of course, Russia was having talks with Hamas and linking up with them, no surprise there, because that's, that area is the apple of God's eye. And uh, that, you know, and so they should be near and dear to our heart. I have on my flagpole out in front of my house, I have the American flag and right below it, I have the Israeli flag. And I don't care what anybody says because that's, that's, that's God's people. Now they still need to be born again, just like Jesus told this Pharisee, but that's God's people. That's how important they are. And the Lord is going to set up his kingdom right there in Jerusalem when the time, time comes. Father, thank you for today. I ask your blessing upon this lesson now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, here's the setting. Uh, Jesus has stirred up quite a bit of trouble with the, with the Pharisees, and uh, particularly the Sanhedrin. And uh, we'll explain a little bit about them. And, and, uh, but Nicodemus was part of that group of the Sanhedrin. Let me, let me tell you something about the, the Sanhedrin. That's the ruling, religious ruling group of, um, of Israel at this particular time. And, and Nicodemus was part of them. First of all, they were the ruling religious class among the Jews. Uh, they presided over the trial of Christ. They heard both civil and criminal cases. They could impose the death sentence. Um, and in Matthew 26, Christ was brought to Caiaphas, the high priest, a Sanhedrin. In Mark 14, the whole council of the Sanhedrin. Now, this is the key verse in Mark 14. It talks about the whole council around about verse 55 or so. If it was the whole council of the Sanhedrin, that means that this fellow Nicodemus was there at that council. This fellow that came to Jesus by night. So uh, the chief priests and all the council in verse 55, Nicodemus was probably among them, this fellow that came to Christ. And I've heard it often said that that he probably came to Christ by night um, because he didn't want to be seen in a public setting with him. I don't know if that's the case or not. I imagine on a more practical level that Nicodemus probably had a, as a, as a Pharisee and as a ruler, he, he had a busy schedule and he tried, probably tried to find some time where he could go see the Lord. And I like the fact that he came to see the Lord and recognized him as somebody of importance because he was sitting with the council that was planning on how they could execute Christ. Now, he heard all the evidence for and against, and he was probably one of the few dissenters in that council. And the example of that is the fact that he came to see Jesus. He didn't come to see him to, to take him, to, to arrest him, he wanted to find out for himself. And so he came to him by night. I think he wanted to, you know, you know how you hear stories about people and you, you take them for, you know, what they're worth. But sometimes you have a desire to meet them for yourself and find out if it's true. I've, I've had that happen over the years. I don't know how many times I've met somebody of reputation and I've heard things about them that weren't that great. And then when I talk to them, they seem like a normal person. 
Well, in this case, uh, maybe Nicodemus wanted to find out for himself who this Christ was. And he says to him, first of all, he calls him rabbi. And that's a a, a prominent uh, name to call somebody. Rabbi means teacher. Um, And it's a Jewish word, so it denotes someone who teaches the law or the Torah. And so he recognized him as someone who knew what he was talking about by giving him that label. He doesn't seem to have an accusatory tone or accusatory attitude towards the Lord when he comes to him. He seems to really have an inquisitive mind as to who the Lord is. And he says to him, uh, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God uh, be with him. Now, I don't know if Nicodemus went completely 100% in recognizing who Christ was as God, but he certainly recognized him as somebody sent from God. He did have that much recognition. So it's almost like Nicodemus, when when he started the conversation, he checked all the box. He recognized him as a teacher, a rabbi, someone sent from God. But now, let's look at it a little bit closer. In verse 3, Jesus gave him the answer that he gives mankind. There was no particular uh, special treatment here. And I want to focus on this a little bit. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man. Now, he doesn't say except a Pharisee, except a, a, a ruler of the Sanhedrin, except a very important person. He said, except a man. So he puts, Fer- he puts Nicodemus in the same category as all of mankind. And that's exactly how God looks at us. You could be a billionaire or a pennyaire. It doesn't matter. God looks at us the same way. And he has the same message. That is the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not complicated at all. There's not a person in here that when they die, they want to go and spend an eternity in hell. There's nobody here that wants to do that. I don't know anybody in their right mind that would. In fact, you you ask the average person, anybody, where would you like to go when you die? Well, man, I'd like to go to heaven. I'd like to be in paradise. I'd like to have a better eternal afterlife. That's just common sense, common desire. Because whether we know it or not, God God places in us, or it's in our fallen nature to understand we're not going to live forever. That life is going to be over eventually. I hope everybody in here lives a good, long life, a good, long, full life. But the reality is we're all going to die. It's appointed for man once to die, and after this, the judgment, the Word of God says. That's an appointment we can't break. Uh, When I was a kid growing up, I had uh, a really, really bad accident where basically we, we used to, you know, we used to get in rock fights with the neighborhood kids and and I caught one about this big right in, the, right in my mouth and just destroyed the, all my front teeth. And so I, I had several, as a little guy, probably seven, eight, nine years old, I had to go see the dentist numerous times. We're talking over 50 years ago. And they weren't quite as uh, pain-free as they are today. 
and he had to do a lot of work. And so, uh, you know, to kind of reconstruct my teeth and different, you know, I had to do quite a bit of work. And I hated going, I dreaded going to the dentist. Even when I went in the military and got free dentistry, I dreaded going to the dentist. I'd get a notice, you have an appointment with your uh, bi-yearly appointment with it. I dreaded it. I would try and get out of it. I, I, and some people are like that. And, and dentists are so much better today. And, and I've been a few times and, and they, they try to be what they call painless. You know, this, you might feel some pressure. <laughs> that's, the, that's the famous line. But as a kid, I, I dreaded that. You know, when I'd hear about an appointment, I'd almost have a meltdown. You know, I, I didn't want to go because I associated with pain. But in reality, the appointment of death is one that we can't break. It may be postponed from time to time. You know, we may dodge a bullet, so to speak, have a close call. But when the time comes, we cannot break that appointment. That's just the reality of life. Part of life is living and dying. Being born, living, and then you have to die. Now, I thank God, as a believer in Jesus Christ, death is a step into eternity um, in, in paradise with him, with the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, over the years, when I've done studies and read about uh, people who have died without the Lord as compared to people who have died with Jesus Christ, and it and literally is night and day. I've read accounts of people who, you know, their whole lives they denied God, denied everything about God and things of that nature, and, and then on their deathbed, you know, some pretty terrible things, you know, with the family around. It was, it was not, not, not good. And then I've read stories about people who knew Christ as Savior. And on their deathbed, even though they, some of them pain or whatever at the time of their death, it was like they went peacefully. Like the, like, uh, the Lord gave them die, what they call dying graces. And that's because that's part of our existence. It has to happen. Ever since Adam and Eve sinned against God, when they sinned, Death entered into mankind. That's the origin of death. That's why a lot of people who don't believe in the creation account think that we can cheat death. There's people who still have, uh, there's people who died many years ago that still have their bodies, their family has their body in cryogenics, hoping that someday we'll come up with some miraculous idea where they can inject them with something, bring them back to life. People believe that. And I'm not knocking modern science and all the things that uh, medical science can do these days and helping people to prolong life and so forth. And I'm glad that my good friend in the burn unit there is getting the best treatment that they couldn't have imagined existed even 25 or 30 years ago. And I'm glad of that. But the reality is it's appointment that we cannot break. And so that's why Jesus said, except a man uh, be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. There's your answer right there. That really is kind of like a focal point of what the word of God is all about. When we invite people to church, when we invite people to Sunday school, when we invite people to big days, we want to see them born again. 
We want to see them saved. We would like for them to accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And that way, their name can be written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And you know what's, you know what's unique about this? If you're here today and you're saved, your name is already written in heaven. Jesus said, I go and prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I would have told you. So I know that this is not my permanent dwelling place. Now, I want to live as long as I can. I, I, you know, I want to see my granddaughter grow up and any other grandkids that I'm going to have and see my kids grow old. And You know, my wife and I, we, that's what we want. We want to have a good, long life. But the reality is, someday, you've got to go out and meet the Lord. That's going to happen. But for the believer, for you and I that know Christ as Savior, that's something to look forward to. It's our blessed hope. This, let's face it, man, this world is not that great. Now, it, whenever you know, I see a mother with a child and she's loving on that child or grandparents with kids, you see, you see bright spots in this world. But then there's a lot of horror and a lot of bad stuff in this world because of the fall, the sinfulness of mankind. And, and the, the potential for sin in mankind, it's like there's no limit. It's not a great place. Um, I hope that you're in a situation in your life where you got a pretty good life and you got a pretty good family and things are going pretty good. I hope that. But in the grand scheme of things, this world's not a great place. Why do you think the Lord's going to destroy it and build a new one? He knows what he's doing. And so Jesus makes this statement. He says, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You say, what does that term born again mean? Well, glad you asked. Because the Lord goes on and explains it. Let's read on a little bit. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Nicodemus gives a real, practical, down-to-earth question. Wait a minute, Lord. And, and well, let's go on a little bit further. Because he talks about how old he is. He says, how, how can someone enter into their mother's womb when they're old? That's not possible. How can you be born again? Nicodemus was thinking in the, in the human uh, idea. He, 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 he didn't catch it. He was thinking, in his mind, he's thinking, you know, I was already born once. I'm an old man now. It, it, it just doesn't make sense. You can't enter back into it. Can't enter in your mother's womb and be born again. That's impossible. And he's right. Can't. Jesus hadn't, like always. And by the way, side note, if you ever watch conversations with Jesus and, and Pharisees, he always has an answer. And he always has the right answer. That's why as a 12-year-old, he was able to confound the teachers in the temple. He always had the right answer. And he listened to Nicodemus's uh, rebuttal, and this is what he said. He said, Verily, very, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So essentially, what he takes verse 5 and he explains verse 3. He says, you got to be physically born. I think we all meet that criteria, right? We were all born. 
probably don't remember it, but you talk to your mom, she remembers, you know, I'll be seeing my mom this week, and I'll say, hey, mom, remember when I was born? Oh, yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. I remember when you were four or five, too, and drove me nuts. And then your teen years, and I, maybe I shouldn't ask her after all. But, um, yeah, I mean, we, we, you know, a lot of us carry birth certificates, keep them in our uh, personal records. It says when and where we were born, the time of day, uh, who was there, what hospital. Uh, some people were born at home, some of the older folks. It was common to be born at home, but we all experienced the first birth born of the water. And, you know, uh, I, I don't know everything about uh, pregnancies, but I do understand that there's a, an amniotic sac around the baby to protect the baby. And you hear the term that a lady's that water has broke, meaning that, you know, it's time for that baby to be born. And so I, I think now there's two schools of thought. About 80% of the school of thoughts say this, that... Um, I think he's talking, number one, about a physical birth, and then he's talking about being born of the spirit, a spiritual birth. A new, and the reason I think that is because there's verses that talk about as newborn babes in Christ desiring the sincere milk of the word. And it, it, it kind of compares the new birth or being saved as to a birth. Um, I remember when I was first saved, and many of you can relate to this. You didn't know hardly anything. I didn't know anything about the Word of God at all, really. I knew, uh, like it says in the scriptures, like the blind man who got his sight, he said, I couldn't see before, but now I can. Once I was blind, but now I can see. Now, I could say that. I could tell people, you know, I invited Christ into my life, and he saved me. I don't know much more than that, but I know that that's the only way to get to heaven is through Jesus Christ. And so the Lord goes on to explain this, and he's, he's really being simple about it to uh, Nicodemus. By the way, if my research is correct, Nicodemus, like many of the Sanhedrin, probably had the whole Torah committed to memory could refer to any, the Torah is the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. The books of Moses, they call them. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He probably had all of, at least that and more, committed to memory, personal memory. So he's not, a, not an unintelligent man. Not, a, not an illiterate fisherman. He is a well-schooled, uh, trained in the art of the Jewish religion, and the Talmud or the uh, the Torah, the, the Pentateuch, if you will, he knew the Word of God, and Jesus gives him the, probably the simplest answer that you could give to a five or six-year-old. Said you're firstborn physically, but in order to get to heaven, in order to be born again, you need to be born of the water and of the spirit and if you're not born of the spirit you cannot enter into the kingdom of God when you're born of the water you enter into this world when you're born of the spirit you enter into God's family as a child of God behold what manner of love the father hath bestowed upon us that we could be called 
the sons of God. You know, a lot of people like to use that term, we're all children of God. That's not true. That is not true. So what do you mean? Well, there's, there's portions of scripture where Jesus is rebuking Pharisees and he says, ye are of your father the devil. And you do the, and, and you do the works of your father. So we're not all children of God. We're all created. We, we're, we're God's creation. We were made in his image. But until a person becomes born again, they're not a child of God. You're not in the family of God. You're on the outside looking in. Say, that's a, that's a hard thing to say. Sure it is. But, you know, if, if I stood here as a... As a you know, as a doctor who specialized in certain kinds of diseases, and I had a patient before me, and I told that patient, you know, I didn't want to hurt their feelings, so I'm not going to tell them that they have a disease that they're going to die from if they're not treated. You know, I, I, I wouldn't think, you know, I, I really don't want to hurt their feelings. I don't want to make them sad. No, as a doctor, I would have to tell them, look, this is what you have. This is what we need to do to save your life. So, in essence, the, the gospel will save your soul. It would not be right for me to say, all's well, there is no hell, don't worry about it. It wouldn't make sense to have this church on this street. It wouldn't make sense to have a big day. It wouldn't make sense to um, invite, go out into the highways and the byways and, and compel people to come in. If if we weren't going to tell them the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It makes no sense. That's why I think about it. I think about um, offshoots of Christianity where they teach that there's no hell. Why even, why even meet? Why even bother with learning the scriptures if you're going to teach people there is no hell and there is no heaven? And so that's why we do what we do. That's why Jesus told Nicodemus what he told him. It's, it almost seems like in this conversation, and again, you got to remember this, John, you know, this, sometimes we, we, we think in Western terms, when I say Western, not the movie Westerns, but Western culture, when we read the word of God, and, and, we, and we don't, we don't add the culture into it, the culture of the day. And so for him to, for, for Jesus to be just very blunt with Nicodemus was kind of unusual. But he was blunt with everybody. And when I say blunt, he told them the truth. Because he said he was the truth, so he's not going to lie. He never told a lie. He was God manifested in the flesh. Um, so he's not going to lie. And so he tells him, he says, you know what, Nicodemus, you've been born of the water. Now you need to be born of the spirit. And then the, the conversation goes on. He says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And I like how he builds upon his first, or the second part of his conversation. He builds on it. He clarifies it. You can't get any simpler than this. He said, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Two different things. 
two different things. You're born of the flesh, and you have to be born of the spirit. And then he says, marvel not. And again, I, was, I had this conversation at least twice this week, I think with Brother Tony and maybe uh, Jeremiah and Brother Wiggins, Pastor Wiggins. I, we had the conversation that there's no idle words in the Bible. There's no words in there just to take up space. Every word, every jot and tittle, according to the word of God, has significance. So when he says in verse 7, marvel, marvel not, he's purposely saying that. Don't marvel me. Yeah, marvel means to, and by the way, I know how I, I don't want to get into that, but marvel, marvel means to almost be, think to the point that this just can't be real. It's imaginary. But he says, marvel not. He brings it back down to reality. Marvel not. And then he he reiterates what he said before. Marvel not that I said unto you, you must be born again. It almost seems like that he did. <laughs> Nicodemus couldn't get away from that born again statement. And so the Lord explains it gives an explanation for his explanation and then gives a third explanation for the other two. In other words, he dissects this thing and explains it very clearly. As a matter of fact, if a person reads this and they walk away, they have to say this. Yeah, I know I need to be born again, but I don't want to. You, after reading this, and if you're posed the question, would you like to be born again? You know what it means. Now, if you're here today, maybe visiting, and that's the first time you've ever heard something like that, I promise you this. There are several, Zeke, myself, my wife, several others in here that could show you between Sunday school and church. They can take a Bible and show you how you can be born again. You don't have to join the church. You don't have to be, get in the baptistry to be born again. You need to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Realize you're a sinner. You can't do anything about your sins, nor can I. There's not a man on this planet that can absolve you of your sins. Only Jesus Christ, who the Bible says became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus took upon the sins of the world, your sins, my sins, every sin that was ever committed, and he became sin for us. And he never sinned. You, you realize who he is. You accept that truth. You accept that free gift of salvation. And that's how you're born again. That's basically it. And then he goes on to say, and we'll finish up here. In verse 8, the wind bloweth where it listeth. And thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. <laughs> you talk about piling on. I mean, you cannot have, you can't read this conversation and walk away and say, I don't know what he's talking about. He takes the wind. He says, look, you can't see the wind, but you can see the trees moving, the branches in the trees moving. So you know, and you can feel the wind, but you can't see it. 
He said, that's, that's how the new birth is. You can't see it with your eyes. But the spiritual rebirth does take place. Just because you can't see it with your eyes. You say, I can see the No, you can't see the wind. You can see what the wind picks up. Gets, if it gets blown real hard, it picks up dust, and you can see the, the effects of the wind, but you cannot see the wind. You can see the trees blowing, but you can't see the wind. You can see what it does. That's the same with the Spirit. So he kind of implies that you have to have faith, uh, spiritual eyes, so to speak, to accept this. Just trust what Jesus Christ did. All right, let me see. If you just get a couple, couple more minutes. Um, in Galatians chapter 2, you don't have to turn there. Paul talked about preaching of those that were of reputation. Yeah, Galatians 2 and verse 2. And I appreciate the fact that Jesus understood and in many ways became all things to all men, didn't compromise. But I appreciate the fact that he was allowed to or he allowed Nicodemus to come to him in a private setting. Because, you know, if Jesus were to approach him at the council, can you imagine, here's Jesus standing before the council of the Sanhedrin. This is after he had that conversation with Nicodemus, and he looks at him, and he says, Nicodemus, remember our conversation? Boy, that would, that would single Nicodemus out as almost a traitor to that Sanhedrin council. But I like the fact that, that he made, uh, us made it a special point to give Nicodemus an audience. Because Nicodemus, a well-off, well-respected teacher of the law, probably well-off financially, his salvation was just as much as the poor beggar on the street. I like that Jesus will save the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. He'll save anyone who calls upon him. And know this. That even if there's people that decide to reject Jesus Christ, and we see him every day, people who mock him, mock the faith in Jesus Christ. My Bible says that the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. So regardless of whether a person is saved or not, they will confess Jesus Christ. Now I'd much rather... And the Lord would much rather have those on his side when they confess him as Lord as opposed to those who are lost. But every human being that ever walked on this earth is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, King of the universe, by the way. The, the King of kings and Lord of lords. So if you're here today, and, and a little bit later, uh, we're going to have our morning service. But if you're here today and you have some questions about this being born again, I would love nothing better than to take the word of God and show you how you can be saved. There are several people in here that could take the Bible and show you how you can know for sure that your name will be written in the Lamb's book of life. And now again, I know a good portion of us here because I've talked to a lot of you over the years and you're faithful and Probably a good portion of us in here are born again. But if you're here today and you're not sure, don't hesitate. 
Several people in here can take. You're among friends. When I used to do it, when I was a pastor, and I, and I used to do invitations, this is what I'd do. So the person, so person wouldn't feel embarrassed. I'd say this, watch this now. How many people in here during an invitation, how many people in here remember when they came forward? Hold your hand up. Remember that? There's a few. There's a few. And a lot of people remember when they confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and stood before the church and said, you know, this, this person has been saved. The preacher said, this person has accepted Christ. Know this, that you're among friends. There's not a person in here that's saved that wouldn't love for you if you're not saved to come forward and accept Christ. And hopefully in the junior churches today, many of those young people will come to know Christ as Savior. All right, we'll stop there. Uh, we'll have a word of prayer, and we'll have probably about a 10-minute break, and the morning service will start. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the blessings uh, of your word. Thank you for all the visitors we have today. We pray that things would go smoothly today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right.